we're back on Inside Black and Gold. One more segment. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Gell. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. Please hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast. Please or give a like, whatever it is. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And this interview is 10 minutes long. This is Drew Brees. I am not part of it. It is actually Steve and Bobby from Sports Talk. I'm just going to go right into it. For fair warning, if you are subscribed on YouTube, we did post this interview on YouTube. It's about 10 minutes long. So if you'd rather just skip, if you've heard it already and listen to our takes on it at the end, scrub about 10 minutes forward and you'll be there. Um, but without further ado, here is that interview with the GOAT himself, Sir Drew, Mr. Breeze. There you go. Now, Drew, uh, damn, it's the easiest schedule they ever had in history. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, how can you not win double ditch? I, I know things change and who you play and you look at the quarterback matchups. But I look at how can you not hold the organization, feet to the fire, that being Dennis Allen. Look, I'm a Dennis Allen, Mickey Loomis fan. But I look right now, uh, the, the team's right on the 500 bubble. I'll say for like 8 and 9, 9 and 8, hell yeah, we should be double digits. Uh, we cannot afford to have the third consecutive losing campaign. Now, I don't know if you're going to win anything, but you should be in the hunt potentially to win the NFC South and have double digit wins for sure, considering uh, that we're at right now with Derek Carr at the helm. I've never seen him this excited over a schedule, Drew. Yeah, <laughs> I see. I see that. I feel it. You know, it's funny. I, there are plenty of times where I looked at the schedule and was like, man, this is going to be this gonna be the toughest schedule we've ever played. Like, look, we got to go here. we got to go there. This time of year, that time of year, whatever. At the end of the day, you really don't know. You really don't know what you're going to encounter, you know, from, from week to week with these teams. You know, on paper right now, some of them may look really, really good. Some of them may look really bad. You really don't know until you get to that point. Right. There's so many variables and circumstances that go into that, right? Not just them, but, but how you are as a team, right? How you're coming together. If you have some key injuries and you're, and you're just having to battle it out for a few weeks with some guys that are less proven. Look, at the end of the day, like, look at the division, you know? Should we win the division? Yeah. Hell yeah. Win the division. But Atlanta will be better than they were last year. Carolina will be better than they were last year. Tampa, I don't know. Maybe not. Bottom line is this. You know, if you look at last year – we should have won the division last year. I you know, agree. If we beat Tampa, if we beat Tampa in Tampa on Monday night, would your impression of where the team sits be different had we won the division last year? That's true, right? I, I think everybody, I think everybody would have maybe a little bit different feeling, a sense of urgency. But you know, you you start feeling like, man, we really gotta, we really gotta do something here, right? It's been two two seasons now without without going to the playoffs. When obviously that's the expectation that we've we've established. But we were one game away. Not even one game. We're like two plays away right. in that game. There's about five things that if just one of them didn't happen at the end of that game, we win the division, right? We're right there. I mean, bottom line is we're right there. We have we have all the pieces in place. I mean, offensively, golly. Like, I, I look at the skill position and, and just we've got a lot of mouths to feed. But, man, we've got, we've got guys that if we can – everyone understands and embraces their role – I think Derek Carr is a great fit for the system. Uh, I think defensively, we're still there. You know, I mean, you'd say the two captains of the defense, Cam Jordan and Demario, are in a position with some with some young talent now around them that we've gone out and drafted over the last two years. You got to make sure that we can hold up up front. You know, you lose a couple interior D linemen, but you go and draft a couple. You know, hopefully those guys jump right into a position where they're key contributors um, and everybody can stay healthy. I mean, look, yeah. Sky's the limit. You know, you just want to take one step at a time. But I don't think you worry so much about who you're playing or the rest of the division 
or any of that other stuff, though, Bobby. You just focus on, honestly, the best teams that I was a part of here. On yourself, right? Were, 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 were teams that just, honestly, the off seasons, the training camps, you just battled. Iron sharpens iron. Like, you woke up every day trying to kick the other side's ass. Amen. Like, like you woke up, and it was like, I, I couldn't even look at Jonathan Vilma in the locker room. <laughs> because I was like, I got to kick that guy's ass today. Like, I like you know, that. All those guys, Roman, Malcolm, like all those guys, you know. And, Amen. And so for a month, you were just at each other's throats. And then once you got to the season, like you were so tired of beating up on each other that you you couldn't wait for the season to start. And then you looked at everybody else and you said, there's no way that who we're about to play this Sunday is better than what we've been going up against every day in practice for the last month. And it just made the season that much easier. Now, uh, Drew, uh, but the, the question I should say that I have for you, we can't be snake bit again as far as can we take away the football protected? Drew, I, I bet you didn't know this. So I'm going to tell you this. Do you know that the Saints are coming off their worst team ever, uh, the, the worst season ever in Saints history for takeaways? And only 14 forced turnovers and seven interceptions that were both franchise lows. Considering as good as our secondary was, there's two franchise lows. Well, you know this. Okay, let's say we've played a handful of games. Can't we be plus four instead of minus four or something? I mean, you know how much a difference that makes. Yeah. Look, and, and, and there's, there's a lot of things that go into that. Um, but you, you talk about man, ways to, to help the offense, right, and play complementary uh, ball. You know, that, that goes a long way. On the flip side, the better the offense is, the more points you're scoring, the more pressure you put on the opposing offense right. to have to be more aggressive. Well, what happens when they get more aggressive? That's when opportunity, That's when the defense can be opportunistic. So all these things play hand-in-hand, hand, right? And it's not that one equals the other, and it's, it, like, it's a combination of all these things. Man, the better the offense plays, I guarantee you, the more turnovers the defense will get. And the more uh, turnovers the defense gets, the more points the offense will get because of the more opportunities and the more momentum shifts, right? These things work hand in hand. Both sides have their responsibility in, in that. Have you got a chance at all to talk to Saints rookie Jake Hayner after he got drafted by the team in the fourth round? Huge fan of yours, wore the number nine in college, uh, and just seems to have that same kind of moxie, that that attitude and that makeup. Well, he's a poor man, Drew Brees, waiting to accomplish great things. That's what I think. Yeah, I had a chance to uh, I had a chance to be around him this off season, and um, uh, he, you know he communicated a little bit of, of how you know he, he followed me growing up, but but not to the extent of you know what's come out since the draft. So obviously that's humbling. Um, I think it's a great pickup for for the Saints. I think he brings a lot, you know. And, and look, you never you hope that Derek Carr can stay healthy and everything goes great. But as we know in the NFL, you need a very very capable you know backup you know kind of stable of guys that can step in and get the job done if, if they need to, you know. Um, certainly Taysom Hill is always ready, willing, and able in whatever capacity, you know, the team needs him. Um, but, yeah, that's always exciting to, to get guys like that, to hear stories uh, like that, and and feel like, you know, you've, you've made that type of impact on a, on a young player, a young QB. Now, Drew, you bring up Taysom Hill. I said there should be a category for him, I don't know, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Not a regionalized Hall of Fame, but, I mean, it's about jack-of-all-trades, uh, Swiss Army knife. I mean, have you ever witnessed a quarterback 
that can run past you or run over you and then is capable uh, to do some play-action passes and then also block a punt or uh, return a kickoff. I mean, he's like the modern-day version of Jim Thorpe. I mean, can you name another NFL player that's playing in the 21st century or even before that who's on the Taysom Hill level? I've never seen a player like Taysom Hill ever. You know, may, maybe there was a, there maybe there was a throwback guy right. in the in the 1930s, 40s, right. 50s that we're just we're not thinking about. You know, autogram or I don't know, but I don't think we've ever witnessed anything like this before. A guy who who could, if if someone decided to build an offense around him, he could play quarterback in the NFL. Okay, look that that job is hard enough, right? But now couple that with the fact that he's returned punts, he's returned yeah. kickoffs, he's blocked punts, he's blocked extra points, he can block the point of attack in the run game, he can pass protect, he catches touchdowns. Uh, you know, he he can run the football as well as just about any running back you have. I mean, so it's not just one or the other. It's the it's the combination of all these things. If 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 he if all of a sudden you were down a, a, an offensive lineman and and you said Taysom, would you just play guard for like three plays and just like hold up against this this stud inside? Right, right. I bet you I bet you he could do it. Right, he right. Certainly stick. He'd certainly stick his nose in there and try. So yeah, I mean, I've never seen anything like the guy, and and he's he's is is he's as good a teammate as as I've ever had too. You know, which which makes it even better. Drew, definitely appreciate the time. Please tell us more about the pickleball fest that is headed our way to NOLA. And uh, any message out to all those sports and pickleball fans here in New Orleans? Absolutely. Pickleballers everywhere. New Orleans nationwide, sign up. We'd love to have you. Um, Again, the dates are August 10th through the 13th in New Orleans at the convention center. Um, Be tons of uh, events in and around the, the amateur pickleball tournament itself. There'll be pros. There'll be celebs. So celebrity pro-ams, we're going to have food, concert, music, you name it. It'll be a ton of fun. And uh, you can go to DrewBreeze.com, which is our foundation website, because all the proceeds go to our foundation. And you can uh, click on the link there to, to register. Also, sponsorship opportunities. If you want your company to be involved, we're going to have a whole VIP experience um, aspect alongside this, a huge hospitality aspect in true New Orleans fashion. So the NOLA Pickle Fest is what we're calling it. So the first annual New Orleans Pickleball Fest, August 10th through 13th, DrewBreeze.com. All right, and there it is. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Drew, for coming on the sports talk last week. I thought it was a really good interview. There is a little bit more to that. If you'd like to hear the whole interview, you can go check it out on WWL. For all you pickleball um, fans. Big pickleball <laughs> fans. He's bringing a pickleball fest. Pickleball. Pickleball, pickleball, pickleball. We're going to um, have to try and get some kind of WWL team together and see if Drew will play us. Well, I've been, you know, this is not about the football at all, but I've been seeing like news stories about how people who own houses near pickleball courts are like going insane because the noise is, I is did like see that. so obnoxious. It's like, cause it's like tennis. It's like, yeah, you have a tennis ball hitting a tennis racket. It's not really noise, but it'd be like living next to a giant ping pong table. Yeah, with people playing all the time, <laughs> and uh, I can see why it'd be annoying because that noise, like you can kind of hear it in your head, it's just like. <laughs> I, I get annoyed when we're in the locker room and I hear it on my audio when I when I'm editing stuff, like ping pong. Oh yeah, well, because they're always in there doing that. Yeah, yeah. Well, they haven't. I, have, I don't think they've had a ping pong table in there for a while. 
Yeah, now it's just the basketball going on. Yeah. But yeah, you definitely that. And yeah. it, it basically is a big wiffle ball you're hitting around. And I, yeah. it's funny you mentioned that. I saw that same thing that, yeah, there, there's residential folks are getting aggravated with the, the noise from pickleball. Because it's not loud, but it's loud enough and it's repetitive. And, and Kyle's get it. right. <laughs> It'd be like if like, yeah, if if you someone was constantly playing wiffle ball next to your house, but all they were doing was constantly hitting a hundred wiffle balls back to back to back to back to back. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So no, I thought you had a, a lot of interesting things to say in that interview. One of them, as, as mentioned previously, we already know that Drew Brees really likes Taysom Hill, but when you say something like, I have never seen a player like Taysom Hill ever. I think that's pretty telling. And like, I keep, I still get asked like, why does Taysom Hill have a spot on this roster? What does he do? And the answer is, Everything, Everything that nobody else wants. <laughs> I, I don't know how else to describe it. Obviously, you know, the Cajun Cannon has nothing but love for Taysom, too. And I think that the best way to describe him, we've heard it all, all along, is just saying he's a football player. There's no position with him. And I'm just curious to know how much more in the receiving game can we see of him. We know he's got that power running ability and – always gets that extra yardage kind of deal. But I, I would just love to see the man you utilize more in the receiving game. I, I just, uh, that's one aspect where I don't feel he, we see enough of him. But I mean, last year, I think pretty much you called it with Taysom and his usage in this, in this team. And uh, even we're smart enough to take him in fantasy football at the tight end spot. Yeah. I mean, he's a running back, right? Like he's just a running back who runs the wildcat. But if you can if you can start him at tight end, he's worth having. If you have to start him at quarterback, absolutely not. But this quote from Drew says, uh, if all of a sudden you were down an offensive lineman and you just said, Taysom, would you just play guard for like three plays and just hold up against the studded side? I bet you, you could do it. He'd certainly stick his nose in there and try. Um, and it's like, yeah, that's that's the beauty of Taysom. Like, like I, I, there's this fantasy football idiot who just every now and then will show up in my mentions. And I like, I swear I muted him, but he keeps makes showing up and he's like, Oh, he doesn't do anything that's worthwhile. And I was like, he literally plays special teams. If anyone on your special teams group is also a contributor in any facet of the game, then they are worth keeping around. And the fact that he not only plays every special teams unit, he also comes in and does something on offense that no one else can replicate. It's such a strange conversation because it's like, of course you want that guy on your roster. Like, yes, it's kind of gimmicky, but sure, that's because there's only one of him in the NFL. <laughs> it's going to be gimmicky because you have to figure it out, but it's like, it's worth having. Do we have Do we have a Taysom one of one fan out there at all? No. I mean, <laughs> I think that's every BYU Cougar. I, I mean, yeah. Basically the entire like like city of Provo. With Hill, to me, it also said a lot when Breeze was still around. He didn't mind at all. He, and, and actually was yeah. in favor of, of of Hill getting more snaps while uh, at quarterback, which is amazing to hear from a competitor like Drew. Yeah, and, and I think that's <laughs> going to be a really interesting thing to watch develop with over Carr, the right? course of the season. Because last year, one of the benefits of going with Andy is – you had no qualms about taking him off the field at any point. And it was kind of the beauty and the, and the madness of Andy all in the same, in the same kind of, you know, picture of like, okay, yeah, his ceiling is so low that there's no question, but like you, you would have never taken Drew off the field as many, as often as you took Andy off the field last year. Can you do the same thing with Derek Carr? How much can you do that with Derek Carr before he starts to get really annoyed that 
okay, so I just have two downs. Like I, I go out there and I complete a six yard pass on first down. Suddenly I come back on third down and it's third and six because our, our, you know, great Taysom Hill power run lost us two yards, right? Like I didn't get that chance on second down and now we're, you know, we're in third and long. Right. And it's like, that would annoy me as a quarterback over time. If it works, you know, everyone kind of feels happy about it. Winning cures everything. But I do think that it's a, it's like, he can say all the right things. I don't know that it's going to work the same way for him. And I think it's going to make so halfway through the season, we're like, why aren't we seeing taste some more? Well, it's like, well, you paid this quarterback. This is your starting quarterback now. And I think you're going to kind of revert back to what it was with Drew, which is like Taysom getting 10 touches on offense in a game, not catches, but like carries, which is the majority of it last year is going to be a lot rarer than it was this past season would be my guess. An even bigger question. When we see Derek Carr lined up at all at wide receiver, (laughs) I mean, he will be. Just a, the real question is whether he actually runs a route. <laughs> we never I, got to see that from Drew, sadly. I highly doubt it. Well, they told Taysom he was not allowed to throw to Drew under any circumstances. <laughs> Which, yeah. But one time he did fake to him, and the defense bought it. It was against the Bucks. Uh, anyway. So there's one other comment from Drew that I do want to draw attention to in it. And I think it's actually a really good point of the, the turnover thing last year. Like, you can look at the defense and say, why isn't the defense forcing turnovers? And there is an element of luck. There's an element of randomness to it. But what Drew pointed out, which I think is very, very accurate, is the offense has a role to play here, too, right? Like, if the offense is not forcing the opposing offense to do anything out of its comfort zone because they're not putting up points, then, yeah, it's going to be harder to turn to turn teams over, right? Like, if they're not having to do seven-step drops and try to force the ball down the field on third and long, you're not going to have as many opportunities for turnovers, right? Like, yeah, you can punch the ball out, and that happens. It didn't happen for the Saints last year. But in a lot of instances, why is that running back fighting for extra yards where you can punch the ball out? It's because they're desperate to get across the goal line like Alvin Kamara was against the 49ers, right? Like, if the Saints are up 10 in that game, he's not trying to fight his way into the end zone, and that turnover doesn't happen, right? And I think the Saints did definitely did not put opposing teams in positions where they had to get aggressive and make mistakes. And it's on, in part because the offense didn't put up points the way that you'd be grown accustomed to it. Like, I can't – like, there were a couple games that stand out where you're like, yeah, the Saints offense really took control of this game, the Rams game, the Raiders game. But even then, they were not blowouts where the other team had to just completely just say, okay, we're going for it, right? Like – even that Rams game was pretty close. The Raiders game should have been a much bigger blowout than it was. The only reason it was a blowout in the end is because the Raiders didn't score. But if it was a 20 nothing or something like that, and it should have been worse, I think that's a big part of it. And, like, you can put it on the defense, but the offense has to play complementary football. Like, you know when it's really easy to, to, to force a team to make a mistake is when you pin them back to their own goal line, right? <laughs> that didn't happen that much last year. I don't know. Like, I think that... It's a really good point, and you when you look back at that season in 2022, one of the biggest struggles was you never felt like the Saints had the better offense in a game. Never, at no point, even in games they won, I didn't feel like they had the better offense. No, and, I remember. I remember thinking that Seattle game. I thought they were going to yeah. cruise all over them, and then I remember thinking, "Holy crap, Geno Smith looks totally different." Were they allowed 45, 42 points in that game? <laughs> I was like, "What?" Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, Taysom Hill won that game. Like right. you point to right. the games that, that the quarterback won other than, so week one, you give it to Jameis. Week four, week five, you give it to Taysom. Right. What are the, what are the games that the quarterback win that season? It wasn't against the Browns. The quarterback didn't win that game. Taysom Hill won that game. The, the weather won that game. It wasn't in week 17. Marshawn Lattimore won that game. Right. And, and Gardner Minshew won that game, right? Was it the Rams game? I guess Andy had a good game that game, right? Yeah, but I mean, you also were playing against the backup quarterback for the second half, right? <laughs> yeah, like, totally, right. Like the defense won against the Raiders. So, yeah. so like there was like in no games that, but you could point to games that the quarterback lost, right? So it's just like the quarterback position last year was a net negative. Yeah. And it needs to be at least neutral. And if you want to be a playoff contender, po- like net positive. And I think if that is the case, the the turnovers will come. You, you will get back to a to kind of. I think it will regress to the mean. But um, well, I just think it's a good point. Like you can look at the defense and say the defense is doing something wrong. In, in reality, I think it's a combination of a lot of different things. One of them being lackluster offense, not putting any pressure on opposing offenses. And of course, we saw that. You know, if it was something was going to go wrong last season, it definitely did for this team. And I think the turnovers was another one as far as even getting the takeaways. A ball gets knocked out, the other team's able to fall on top of it, or even like a tip ball miraculously falls down where nobody else is on the field for the Saints. They just had terrible luck all around kind of deal. See, I don't even know if that happened that often, to be completely honest. Like, I don't recall a ton of instances where it's just like, man, that should have been a turnover. Like, you weren't even getting those. I was the one maybe really three good example kind of thing. The one really good example is against the 49ers where Tyron Matthew gets his whole palm on a ball <laughs> and ends up tipping it up. And then it ends up falling into uh, Jawan Jennings' arms for a touchdown for the 49ers. <laughs> like, that's a good example of like, man, this is just... Or like Alante Taylor getting like back-to-back interceptions overturned on reviews. Right. Or no, actually, I'm sorry. One of them was a really, really soft penalty on Chris Harris. It just, to me, to me, the whole turnover issue, there was, it just a lot went into the snake bit, quote unquote, whole feel of last season too. Wait, you know, what's funny. It's like, we, we talked about in the, in the preseason, um, like Paul Snodibo is constantly getting his hand on balls. He's never picking them off. And it's like, you know, that's kind of a weird thing to complain about when it's like, yeah, but he's knocking the ball down. That's a good thing, right? Like that should be priority number one. And then the turnovers come. The problem is the turnovers never came. And it's like, that's what changes games. And I don't know, like, I do think that Alante Taylor has better ball skills. And I think if there is one focal point of that position battle that I think like will tilt whether it's Alante or Paulson, it's going to be Alante just kind of having a nose for interceptions and setting them up and, and picking them off in ways that Paulson just doesn't seem to handle. And like, either way, they're both going to be very important players on this roster. So it's not really going to, it's not really like one wins and one loses. Right. Uh, I do think whoever loses that ends up playing the slot because you kind of need somebody to play the slot and you want to get them on the ball, both on the field. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you know, obviously people don't remember, we, we didn't have Marshawn for most of the year, unfortunately. And yeah, Lante got that, you know, birth by fire, trial by fly fire, whatever you want to say right there. And 
for the most part, you know, obviously rookie's going to have his struggles, but I thought, you know, solid year all season and really did outperform uh, Paulson, who was dealing with, was it knee or ankle himself? I can't remember exactly what he was dealing with, but he did have an injury in, in the preseason that I think did make it a little more difficult for him to kind of ramp it. Cause it's year two for him. It wasn't like yeah. he was coming into like year four where he's like set on everything. He wasn't even like a sure starter last in, in his rookie season. He played, he ended up playing all 17 games. He was one of the, I think he was the only player to play all 17 games. And that was a COVID year. Like he, he didn't even get hit the week that everyone, uh, got hit in, in against the Dolphins. So, yeah, I mean, like, maybe maybe that just did not – the season didn't translate the way you'd want it. I don't think he was bad. He just – he had – like, he has a tendency over his first two seasons to be very solid and then completely break down in the worst possible moments, right? If you go back to that Falcons game the Saints lost in the Superdome two seasons ago, he was the one guarding Cordero Patterson on that last play – where you thought the Saints had won, and all of a sudden they, the Falcons are kicking a field goal to go win that game. Like, he's the one who was guarding Cordero Patterson. Should you should your rookie have even been on the field at that point? Probably not. But the fact is, he let it, he let it up, right? He was the guy guarding Mike Evans on that pass interference at the goal line, where it's like, why was he one-on-one with Mike Evans? I don't know, but he still did not get the job done. And those, those plays can't happen. Those plays change a game. I think he's always been a little handsier than you want him to be. Uh, and that's just a young, a young defensive back thing. You get away with stuff in college that you don't get away with in the NFL. So I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he'll show up and he'll be a much more well-rounded cornerback this time than he was last year. But I think that, that just the kind of swagger that Alante plays with is going gonna, gonna, gonna to be tough to beat in that, in that position battle, I think. You most you mentioned with Adebo too, and obviously he was like training camp superstar last season. And you got to wonder, was it because he's so handsy and was able to get away with it without the refs around, kind of thing? It's definitely part of it, right? Like you get away with stuff in camp that you're not going to get away with in the game. It's a factor, right? Like yeah, you look really good in camp when no one's calling the jersey tugs, and then all of a sudden they get called. And you're like, well, I can't do that. So how do I hold up now? So yeah, I think that's part of it. Another part of it is just like understanding leverage and how to set up like certain plays and how to set up interceptions. And some players are really good at it. Some players aren't. CJ was always really good at that. Now, was CJ the best in coverage? No, he wasn't. But he was physical and he could set up interceptions. Like if you go back to that game against the Bucks two years ago where he just set up Scotty Miller, like just baited him and then just like hit the hit the Jets and just boom, just clean interception. I think that was the play before uh, Tom smashed a tablet. Like that, that you just didn't have that last year, and uh, you need someone who's going to be doing that. Like you need a ball hawk. Didn't have one. Yeah, some, so. somebody definitely needs to step up and start taking that ball away. I mean, we had um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy from Kansas City ended up getting two picks. Daniel Sorensen. Well, I, I, like I, I, I've been tooting the t- Tyron Matthew wasn't that bad last year. Horn since before it was cool, and. <laughs> You know, I had someone be like, oh, yeah, we just need to intercept the ball more. I'm like, he had three interceptions. He's led the team. Yeah. Like, three interceptions in a season for a safety is a reasonable amount of interceptions. Like, he did not underperform. There's at least two I think he dropped, too. So Sure, but, like, he also intercepted three passes. Right. No, I'm saying he could even have more kind of deal. Yeah. And so, he had five in 2015. He had four in 2019. He had six in 2020. He's had three each of the past two seasons. So, I mean, three is a reasonable number. It's not zero right 
Like the problem is how many people had zero or one, you know, like if, if four or five players had multiple interceptions, suddenly that's a reasonable number of turnovers, but you, you can't expect it all from one guy. Um, and they just got it from nobody, nobody except was, for Daniel Sorensen. And that yeah. one that bounced into Bradley Roby's arms. And then the the one that Marshawn got, that was at the end of the year against Philly. I mean, unfortunately, yeah, we just didn't see him all of last year. Yeah, I, I think, honestly, it's like we can talk about interceptions too. I think the forced fumbles is the real part of the equation that was like, like that should happen. Like just from luck alone, like you might play <laughs> quarterbacks and they don't put the ball in danger, but like, geez, guys, punch the ball. Are you just not doing the drills right? Like, what's going on? Well, you can't punch these balls out. You can watch, like, the Peanut Tillman punch constantly. And it's like, why don't the Saints ever do that? That's why I felt like the bad luck happened. I remember DeMario, Pete Werner, Caden Ellis knocking the yeah. ball out. And then it seemed like the other team was like, oh, they happen to be right there and fall on it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But all right. Let's wrap up this episode. We're going to get ready to go out to OTAs tomorrow. I think we'll have another episode posting on Thursday. Um, we'll gather all the sound from Tuesday and then record on Wednesday and you guys will get it on Thursday morning. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. I've been trying to go for runs at like the hottest part of the day to like train myself. It's like, I call it the, I call it the Ogeron. That's what he used to do. Hey That's man, it. only training the body can get you ready for training camp and those brutal conditions can't be a bad thing. I just have my wet so towel over my head. Yeah, I need to go get. I always go buy a new wet towel. I don't think I'm going to do that for for the one day of practice. But it's like it's like you're just kind of ramping up. So sweat sweat maintenance. Uh, but all right, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks to Drew and Doctor David Chow. That's Drew Breeze for for chatting with us over the last couple of weeks. So we give you that. And uh, hit me up on Twitter at Jeff underscore Noack. Let me know if you're looking to hear from anyone specifically at OTAs over the next several weeks. Doesn't have to be tomorrow. We have three weeks of these practices hit steve geller up at steve geller wwl you can listen to him on sports talk monday through friday now starting at 5 30 to 8 p.m it's good stuff that's where we got that drew Brees interview yeah, yeah. And, uh there's, there's no uh no more breaks where we're getting interrupted by uh any coaches shows or baseball games not for a little while but all right thanks for listening y'all peace talk to you soon who that's